Welcome everyone to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revolution started the 2021 season with a punch to the gut after falling down 2-0 within the first 10 minutes. But goals from Adam Buxa and Gustavo Bo drew the Revolution level by halftime and that score held firm through the final whistle. We also saw Wilfred Captu make his Revs debut, Edward Kizza hitting the crossbar late in the game, and Juan Jones being red carded and nearly giving away a costly penalty kick. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. Sean, how is it going? Doing all right. It was a, at the least a very entertaining opening night for the Revolution. So that was uh, kept us on the edge of our seats with, <laughs> with the way that game was going back and forth. And also joining us today is the Bent Muskets refereeing expert. We had to bring him in for this this game recap. Jake Katniss. Jake, how are you doing? Morning, everyone. Glad to be back. Yeah, you you actually just woke up because uh, because you have that nice shit schedule. So we appreciate uh, you interrupting your sleep uh, to join us here today. Is- so. It is the morning, right? Hang on, let me check my clock. I never look at this thing. I never know what time it is. It's the morning on the West Coast. It counts. Totally counts. Also, just a warning to our listeners that I got the second dose of the vaccine yesterday, so if I seem a little off today, I promise I'm not drunk or tired. I'm just a little <laughs> distracted because I'm also shopping for Microsoft products while we do this because I have a real sudden <laughs> urge to, to go through these. So, Sean, while well, I finalized this purchase of my uh, brand new Microsoft Surface Pro, can you tell me what your key takeaway from last night's game is? <laughs> yeah, I think my key takeaway is going to be one that a lot of people have from this game, which is that you know the, the defense may not be as good uh, as we hoped it was going into this season. Um, and a, a lot of that was, I think, the disappointment and kind of the play of the fullbacks. And, you know, you look defensively at, across, the, across the back line, I think you can pick out some errors from every player out there. Um, Brandon Bay maybe the least amount of defensive errors, but his passing percentage was 56.8%. And when you complain about the Revolutions struggling to keep possession, you know, that was certainly part of it. And then Dewan Jones, um, we'll talk about the red card later and, and whether or not that was fair. Um, but you know, that aside, I didn't think he had a good game at all. Um, he didn't combine well with Tejan Buchanan on the left flank in the first half. And, you know, I'm not sure he was that much better in the second half either when things changed. Um, and, I, and I do wonder, too, if, you're, you know, if maybe we gave him some credit from, you know, Teal Bunbury being his partner on the left side. And he, we all know Teal's a guy that tracks back a lot and provides a lot of defensive coverage. And the two of them worked well together. Um, so there's a lot of questions right now I have about the fullbacks. And, you know, if, if Christian Moffler can't step up and doesn't get fit, um, we know he's got a reputation for being injury prone. If he doesn't stay healthy and, and can kind of step up and overtake that spot from Dewan Jones, um, you know, I have a lot of questions on how good this back line can be. Uh, you know, with, with that said, I don't think it helped the revolution that, you know, Henry Kensler was away with the Olympic team for a while and they didn't have a full preseason to, to get everything together. But this was the back line, um, you know, that we saw a lot of at the beginning of last season. So it's not like these guys were unfamiliar with each other. Um, but, you know, just just going through them, the, you know, the, the, the key negative I thought was Dewan Jones, but Henry Kessler didn't have a good game. You know, Bruce Arena actually called him out a bit after the game for not having a good game. Um, Bruce Arena said Andrew Farrell had a good game. I thought Andrew Farrell wasn't wasn't great in this one. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of blame to go across the back line, and giving up two goals in the first 12 minutes is, is completely unacceptable, especially against the Chicago team that you know the expectations aren't high high with, and. You know, you almost look at how this game played out and wonder if the Revolution bought into the hype a little bit that it has, you know, everyone has them kind of as a top three Eastern Conference team and everybody has Chicago fire near the bottom and thought they could just walk over them because they didn't they didn't come out of the gates uh, with a level of energy you'd like to see from a, a Revolution team opening their season. Yeah, Jake, what are your thoughts on that back for obviously not the best performance from that defensive line, but there were no upgrades. I mean, Christian Moffla came in uh, and is expected to at least compete for that left back role. But other than that, really no upgrades along that starting back four. Um, are you concerned about that that defensive uh, line uh, after the first game? No, I mean, I, I think the back line recovered well. 
Um, I, I think we have to give Chicago some credit. I thought the off-ball movement was was pretty good for them in the first half. Um, I thought the Chicago commentary team pointed out a couple, uh, you know, good times where um, they made some pretty good runs. The second goal in particular, I thought was great. Um, I'm not exactly sure if that's supposed to be Tejan marking that guy in the middle, but certainly Tejan's just marking space at the top of the 18. He's got a free runner in the box. Um, you'd like to see him, you know, notice that and and try and cut that off. Whether or not he gets there or not is another story. Um, you know, I, I don't think the the central midfield pairing helped them in the back line relief pressure a little bit. Um, I don't think anyone really stood out as having a great game on the back line. I don't think Brandon by was terrible. I don't think Farrell was terrible. The left side had a really bad first half. That's where the two goals came from. Um, you know, the first 15 minutes was rough. Everyone sort of settled down. The Rebs got back into the game. Um, but yeah, you can't, you can't avoid, can't, you have to avoid that kind of a horrendously bad start, especially on the road. Um, you know, that's going to, come back really to, to bite the revs now uh if you want to make an open cup qualifying run you just blew two points against a team that you should be well ahead in the standings um i know it's a road point road points are usually not a bad thing um especially when you were down oh two but uh yeah something about this game uh just didn't isn't gonna sit well at the end of the year no and i i, I think they were kind of taken by surprise um by chicago and I was looking into Chicago a little bit last year because I, I spoke to a, a writer from Chicago doing a bit of a game preview. And one of his questions was, what concerns you the most about Chicago? And my initial response was, well, nothing. Um, and then I kind of looked into Chicago's offense a little bit more. And they actually led the Eastern Conference and expected goals a little bit last year, or expected goals last year. Um, and, and obviously they lost Mihailovic, who they traded to Montreal. But Robert Barrick is really good. And I, I think the Revolution may have been a little bit surprised at how hot they came out. They really kept their core from last season. So I, I, I think fans, definitely the fans, underestimated Chicago's offense a little bit, and we saw that in the first 10 minutes. Um, and it, it took that back line a few, a, a little bit to adjust. Um, and, and as you say, you mentioned Taylor Buchanan. Both those goals, you watch Taylor Buchanan on both of those goals. He seems a little bit lost. He clearly is not very... Um, aware on that left side and, and really had some struggles and it was very, very costly. So um, I give them credit for the last 80 minutes of the game. They, they certainly improved as the game went on uh, and they, they kind of picked themselves up a little bit, but first 10 minutes, they, they seem to be uh, a, a little bit deer in headlights ish. So uh, Jake, what was your key takeaway from last night's game? Uh, my key, my key takeaway is usually the same key takeaway I have when I watch the revolution struggle to hold possession of the ball. Carlos Gill needs to be in the middle of the field. Um, your best, possessive midfielder is out on the right wing and you wonder why you struggle to bring the ball out from the back uh, and go forward with it. It's because your best midfielder is not in his best position. Um, I understand that that doesn't necessarily help Gustavo Bo. Um, I know Gustavo Bo scored a goal uh, yesterday, scored the equalizing goals, very important goal. Um, he didn't really do a whole lot outside of that as far as I noticed. Um, there might have been some build-up play and some other things, but I, I don't understand why Gustavo Bo is not on the wing and why Carlos Gill is not in the middle of the field. Um, when the Revolution are struggling to get the ball out from the back line, it's because they don't have a lot of great options in the middle of the field. Um, whether or not that's, you know, Bo needs to get into better spots or Buxa needs to come up and, and do more hold-up play, your, your best midfielder is playing a wide spot, which never makes any sense to me. It annoys them crap out of me every single time um when the revolution are struggling and they struggled you know pretty mightily at times in this game um the first 20 minutes were especially rough um carlos gill's set piece service obviously still amazing um and very helpful on the day 
Um, obviously, when you switched Gill and, and Buchanan, the Revs looked a thousand times better, um, more because Tejon was in a more comfortable position as well. Um, just a lot of little things. I think the Revs didn't do great um, tactically. Um, you know, Tommy McNamara and Matt Polster, um, you know, we, we know we know who they are. Um, you know, they're they're decent depth options. I think Matt Polster can be a guy who can start 20, 25 games for this team um, and, and be fine. Um, but as far as, you know, being, you know, dominant, you know, game changers, that's not who either of those two are. Um, and I, I don't think the combination with Bo as the acting kind of sort of cam really helped New England yesterday. Sean, uh, Carly Steele obviously had a very big impact on that game. He switched to the left side after Tayon struggles early in the first half and kind of stabilized that side of the field uh, and, and obviously seems to be kind of a stabilizer wherever he plays. He's quality wherever he is on the pitch. Uh, what are your thoughts about Jake's suggestion about playing him in the center? Yeah, I don't disagree that I like to see Carlos Hill in the center, and I think he's you know he's very good there, and you like to see him in a position where he can get as many touches as humanly possible because he has the Revolution's best player and most influential player. Um, but it, it goes back to a point we we you know talked touched talked about a decent amount last season, which is you know what does that mean for Gustavo Bo? Because I don't really like Gustavo Bo on the wing. Um, Gustavo Bo is still kind of that guy without a position, and I like him more in a, in a floater role up top. You know, if if you had Gustavo Bo and, and Dewan Jones on the left side, I think you're defensive struggles um you know that was the side that chicago was eating alive as we as we talked about early on and i think if you put gustavo bow out on the left that becomes even worse um so that's my concern there is that you know gustavo bow was a great player but i think when you have him out on the pitch it makes it harder to put carles heel in his best position um and because of that if you're you know if you're gonna play you know him adam buxa and carles heel uh, you know i think you're almost forced to push Carly's heel to one of the wings unless you're you know doing something where you're you know you know you're going to be the, the dominant force in the game maybe you're in a home game against a terrible team and you you know drop one of your central midfielders and have Carly's heel play as a you know kind of a as much of an eight as a ten we've seen him be able to do that before um but that's that's my problem with with Jake's takeaways I, I agree Carly's heel is great in the middle but I, I I think Gustavo Bo makes that very difficult to pull off um outside of you know certain situations when you're you know playing teams that um Maybe you're comfortable sacrificing you know, any defensive effort out of your left wing. Um, and, and Gustavo Bo, again, is more of kind of a floater that won't necessarily stay out there and give you the width you're looking for either. Yeah, Carlos Hill, very, very uh, strong game in his 2021 debut. Obviously, he had the assist, uh, also three shots, one on target, 80% uh, pass accuracy. He was also six for eight on crosses, two for three on long balls, five key passes and 69 touches. So obviously a really, really nice game for Carlos Hill uh, last night. Uh, my key takeaway in this one is kind of along the same veins of what you guys are talking about, but the, the defense needs to do a much better job of clearing the zone, getting the ball out of their own half. If they don't do that, this is going to be a very, very long season. Chicago had nine interceptions on the Revs half of the field, according to who scored. And looking at some of these pass accuracies, we got some really horrific numbers here. Branded by 57%, Dewan Jones, 71%. Uh, Tayon Buchanan, 67%. Andrew Farrell, 73%, um, which, you know, for a center back is, is pretty rough. We see we see pass accuracies in the high 80s, 90s uh, from these guys usually. So 73% really stood out to me. Uh, there were a few plays that seemed really uncharacteristic, really right out of the gate. Tayon Buchanan does a back pass to Dewan Jones, goes out of bounds. Tommy McNamara had a play where I couldn't tell what he was trying to do in the 35th minute. It looks like he's passing back, but he can't really tell. And he ends up just kind of leaving the ball out there and it's immediately stolen and goes out for a, a corner or sorry, a counterattack. So 
Um, this this team was all over the place in terms of um, clearing the zone, clearing the half, and, and Chicago did a really, really nice job of keeping them pinned back in their zone uh, and, and unable to uh, transition from the back third to the uh, final third. So, Jake, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, when, when you go and you look at the new uh, MLS.com chalkboard area, I guess, um, I'm not really sure I'm a fan of the new website. Uh, you go and you look at the Revs passing matrix. It's all bunched up in the middle. Like it's literally like a, like a straight line, all the center midfielders, um, Gil, Buchanan, the forwards, they're all just in the middle of the field. They're all working in the middle of the field. There was a lack of, I think just width. there was just problems getting the ball somehow out wide as well at times. Um, and when you, you know, you have, you know, you know, Gil who's supposed to, or a heel who's supposed to be playing right, you know, wing, Buchanan was supposed to play left wing. Maybe because they switched, it looks a little bit weirder on the passing matrix. Um, but it just—it it felt it felt at times there was just there was just so many problems getting the ball just up the field in possession. Uh, and if if you're struggling in possession, just break out on the counterattack, which is something this team I don't think does often enough. Um, you know, I I think the goals helped. You know, you got back into the game, everyone settled down, and just. Didn't didn't feel like there was any flow to the game, and and it it was mostly the Revolution's own doing. Yeah, I, I agree. And you look at the the players that were missing for the Revolution, and I think the center of the park certainly hurt the Revs in this one. Um, you know, we talked about Tommy McNamara being a good depth signing when the Revolution resigned him. I, I don't think he's a guy that you want to see starting too many games. And if you look at who was out, um, you know, Masial had a great preseason. Um, I think if he was healthy, he probably starts over Tommy McNamara. Captoom, if he had had more time in preseason and gotten here sooner and you know healthy and was ready to play, I think he might have started over Tommy McNamara. And then Luis Caicedo, if he was more fit, I think he might have started over Tommy McNamara. So you were you know you were down two guys that probably would have started in central midfield, and I think probably would have helped the Revolution more in possession um, than Tommy McNamara did. And I don't think Tommy McNamara had an awful game. I just don't think he had the impact that some of those other guys might have been capable of having in this game. Um, and with that said, I might have I might have started Scott Caldwell over him um, for this one, especially on the road. But uh, I do think that really hurt the Revs, and I do think if one of those guys was healthy, that would have made a, a kind of a big difference in the Revolution's ability to kind of maintain possession and, and play a bit more on the front foot and less of, you know, counterattacking and, and falling behind early and, and, and giving the fire, um, you know, some, some of that early momentum. Yeah, so Sean, a lot of people were questioning the central midfielders. So you're, you would have gone with a Scott Caldwell-Matt Polster uh, combo. Obviously, Luis Caicedo was playing with Revs 2 yesterday. He is still building up a fitness. Maciel was out. Uh, and then uh, Wilfred Captoom came off the bench, but he was very limited in minutes. He didn't play it much uh, in the preseason. So uh, was your ideal uh, central midfield Scott Caldwell and Matt Polster in this game? Yeah, I mean, ignoring the guys that weren't available, I think my ideal midfield is, is guys guys that weren't available. But I think I would have gone with Scott Caldwell and, and, and Matt Polster in this game, especially on the road. Scott Caldwell is a guy that, you know, you can trust to help keep possession, to calm the game down a little bit and, you know, make the smart pass, if not necessarily the creative pass to create something going forward. But usually he makes a pass where the ball's not going to get turned over. You know, Tommy McNamara wasn't terrible with 80.7% passing, um, but Scott Caldwell is usually among the, the, you know, the top passers percentage-wise on the Revolution. And, and I think that would have helped the Revolution keep possession help slow things down calm it down for the revs and um maybe would have made this game go a little bit differently in the opening minutes um but again with, with that said i think the ideal central midfield pairing involves you know guys that weren't available for this game well we we did get a couple of questions on twitter randy lh says we've got to have a better midfield pairing than polster and t-mac right who would you like to see there next week and revolution Re- uh, report 
also asked us what our starting midfield two is for next game. So um, assuming everyone is available and Maciel, Bruce Arena confirmed afterwards that Maciel will be back this week. Uh, so we can probably expect him to be ready for this game. Um, what do you want to see as the central midfield next week, Sean? Yeah, I mean, I guess I I assume Luis Caicedo is, is I didn't I didn't see all the Revs two games, but from what it sounds like, he didn't have a great game. I don't think we're going to be seeing him next week in the starting lineup. Um, Masial got a ton of minutes in preseason and a lot of starting minutes, and if he's fit, I think we might see him next week. I don't know that Captoom, after playing eight minutes in this game, is going to be ready to to start. Um, I think long term you'd like to see him start, but, but my kind of guess going into the next game is that we might see Massiel and, and Matt Polster start. Now I don't think that's the Revolution's best long term central midfield pairing. I'm just kind of projecting based on you know minutes guys have gotten so far in fitness. Um, you know, long term I think the Revolution expect Captoom to start. Um, I just don't know that next week he's going to be ready for that, and uh, it would certainly be something if you know Captoom and Massiel ended up being the Revs' starting central midfielders. But that's something I could see, um, and you know I could also see Luis Caicedo getting back into form and being one of those starting midfielders because he was a really good player for the Revolution two years ago. Um, but I, next week, my guess is Matt Polster and Massiel, um, and again based on, on what I'm projecting fitness wise. And Bruce didn't say Maciel was starting, but he more or less implied it. He said last night in the postgame press conference that Maciel was very much missed and he's very good under pressure uh, and is able to possess the ball very, very well. So it seems like Maciel has worked his way up uh, on Bruce's uh, depth chart and we, we might be seeing him next week. Um, Jake, any disagreement with Sean on what we can expect next week and, and what you want next week uh, for the central midfield pairing? No, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, Mas- Maciel might have helped. Again, That that's a very, you know, solid skill set and player who is you know, in form and, and appears to be highly regarded. Um, I, I think for me, it's it's more of figuring out, you know, when I look at, you know, Tommy Mack and, and Polster, you know, who is the number eight and who is the number six? You know, who's who's going to be, you know, staying back in front of the defense? Who's going to be going forward? Um, you know, normally I would say, you know, maybe Polster's more the number six. And, and in that situation, maybe Tommy Mack's the number eight. And I, I didn't see that balance from those two um if, if you are playing a 4-2-3-1 you usually have one guy who's going to sit back a little bit more that would have probably been scott caldwell letting matt polster get forward um that would have been a much more clearly defined thing i, I don't know if t-mac and polster ever defined their roles if they were both box to box if it was more of a you know 4-4-2 flat kind of formation um it, it just seemed a little weird yesterday maybe it was um, you know, Massiel was expecting to start and him not making the trip maybe threw the Rebs off a little bit because um, they had been working on things with expecting maybe him to start. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd expect Massiel to start. And if he can take over kind of more of that, you know, number eight, you know, more rangy box to box possessive midfielder type, that would definitely help. Um, I, I think that's what was missing for for the Rebs in the midfield, particularly in the middle of the field. Just just be able to just possess the ball, you know maneuver the ball, you know, go forward. Um, you know, one of the things the revolution did well in the playoffs last year was you had guys like, you know, Buchanan and Teal Bunbury and, and, you know, Carlos Hill on the ball moving forward in space. And they, they didn't have those opportunities, uh, whether that was you know, tactical or Chicago doing things well or, or other things just never seemed to get the flow to this game. And, and I don't think the, the lineup and some of the, the tactical decisions helped new England, um, and the adjustments, switching, you know, heel and Buchanan, those things help, but not after you're down 0-2. Yeah, although I, I, I will say I, I think that 
switching Buchanan and Heal certainly changed the game. I, yes. I, I think Teon was really confused mm-hmm. and, and just really, I don't know if he didn't train that much on the left side or what, but it, it that Heal needed to stabilize that left side because Chicago seemed like they were going to be running down that left wing all day. They were able to pull Dewan Jones up and, and really work the overlapping runs a number of times on, on Teon. And it, it just didn't seem like there was a, a whole lot of cohesion on that side of the field. And um, getting back to your point too about how um, you know, the, the McNamara and Polster pairing seemed confused, didn't seem to really define their roles. Um, I, I think that's a great point. And I, I think it's worth noting that these aren't two new players that haven't had experience playing with each other. They played a lot last year, too. They've been with this team since you know, midway through last season. So not really what you expect from two veteran midfielders, um, especially veteran midfielders that have um, played with the team uh, for for almost a year, so um, well, that, that you bring up a, you bring up a great point there though because you look at the Revolution starting lineup in this game and they made a lot of offseason acquisitions. None of them started this game. This was a, a Revolution team that should have been very familiar with each other, and those first twelve minutes certainly didn't seem like that was the case. Um, so, but no, that, that's a, a key point to make is. None of these new guys started this game. This was this was last year's team um, with a lot of familiarity. Yeah, we, we we can say you know Kessler was gone or whatever, but really it, the first ten minutes were unacceptable on all levels. I, I don't think anyone's really disputing that, including uh, Bruce Arena and the, the Revolution players. So um, I do want to get Jake's thoughts on this. Uh, Dewan Jones red card for those that did not see it. Dewan Jones is chasing after a player. I don't remember who it is. Dewan Jones gives him a bit of a nudge from behind. He goes down right outside of the box um, and is immediately red carded. It goes to VAR, but it it seems like VAR was reviewing whether or not the foul was in the box because the referee, I guess, originally gave it, uh, originally awarded a penalty kick and then before went to VAR, said, no, it's outside the box, and then went to VAR and confirmed it was outside the box, but apparently did not review the red card. So, Jake, take it away. What are your thoughts on what occurred last night? Oh, God. Uh, Where do we start? Um... All right, first of all, Fotis Pizakos is about 30 yards behind this play and points immediately to the spot. I have no idea how he comes to this termination. I don't know his assistant is ever included in the decision, um, but his assistant, I think, would have been able to at least say, you know, hey, we should you know, talk about this first. Um, I think what happened was is that Buchanan uh, obviously makes contact, I believe it was with... Um, I can't pronounce his first name, but Frankowski, the uh, right winger for Chicago, makes contact with him outside of the box. They continue tussling. They go down inside the box. Okay, we point to the spot. Not the end of the world. VAR is going to confirm it um, or, you know, disconfirm it. Uh, Where the red card comes from, I have no idea. The Chicago announcers had no idea it had even been produced. It was such an odd thing. Uh, it's not a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. Frankowski's not in on goal one-on-one. Um, he's not even... That doesn't even count Andrew Fale's position. He's not even one-on-one with the goalkeeper. He's at the top corner of the box. He's not even in on goal or, or has an angle on goal. Uh, it's not a last-man situation. It's not an excessive force situation. And I don't know how VAR doesn't review that. Uh, it's one thing to review whether or not the penalty was inside or outside the box. Um, how you don't in the same process review or confirm the red card is beyond me. Um, These are two decisions that should have taken about 15 seconds, maybe each, um, to figure out. And instead, as Bazakos is chalking off the free kick for outside the area, now we somehow have to go to the monitor. Um, This is about as EPL level of bad from a VAR crew and MLS as I think you're going to see this year. Um, 
the VAR crews in, in England have a, a very ass-backwards way of doing things, as we see on a almost weekly basis. Uh, looking at you, Arsenal, from about, uh, I think, two hours ago. I saw that on Twitter. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened with all of this. I expect the revolution to appeal this. Uh, I expect them to win. And if needed, Dewan Jones is, should be available at, at left back um, next week. You think this is a complete overturn? I mean, we did get a question from Cleggy on Discord who says that, do you think there'll be an appeal? You think this is a, e- easily going to be overturned? There's no argument for this being a red card? I I, I mean, I, I, never, I will never say never with the disco because the MLS Disciplinary Committee is what they are, and they are not known for what I consider to be consistently good at their job or, or interpretations and things like that. Um, I would put it at about 90%. It's about as confident as I can be um, that if, if this is a red card situation for denial of a goal scoring opportunity uh, for a foul in that position, um, then you're going to see a lot of games in MLS this year. In theory, if we call everything consistently end about nine V nine, if that's a red card. And since I don't believe that to be the case, uh, I expect this one to be very, very easy. I would also expect someone um, from pro professional referee organization to do a video on how the hell you can screw this up from a VAR standpoint. This went to review, um, for both the penalty call being inside or outside the box. And I would hope in theory to confirm the red card. And somehow we missed the second half of that process, or at least according to the VAR Twitter account for MLS, they only reviewed the penalty. They didn't review the red card. So I have a lot of questions about what went down, um, how you fix it, it is effectively is just additional communication. Fotis Pizakos, center referee, needs to communicate with his AR. Not sure that happened. He certainly didn't go over and talk to him. Whether or not there was communication over the headsets, we don't have access to that. I think we should have access to that during the review process. It's very helpful. Uh, you can learn a lot from having um, access to that type of communication uh, during the broadcast. The A-League does it in Australia. Um I'm a, a big cricket fan now and cricket's doing their reviews. Um, you have, you know, the umpire literally talking out the entire process as it's going out. Um, it's tremendously helpful in learning and how the decisions and everything works and plays out. Um, and I would have loved to have had a, a, a bird's eye view or the fly on the wall for that uh, conversation as to um, how the only thing that was talked about was uh whether or not the foul was inside or outside the box and whether or not that was a last man situation because never in a million years should a red card or even a yellow card for that matter have been pulled in that in that spot. Um, that's a common foul and and nothing more. There is never a chance that should have ever been a denial of a goal scoring opportunity and how that even came about is is beyond me uh, at, at this point it doesn't make any sense you wouldn't give a you wouldn't give a yellow though i mean it seemed like a professional foul i mean dewan jones is really not in a, a spot to play the ball and, all, and and does make contact to be fair um and and, and uh, it, you know we we can say it's not a breakaway but chicago is leading a charge back the other way late in the game you, you don't think a yet i mean i i would assume that it was at least a yellow I wouldn't have been upset if a yellow card had, had been produced, but it, it, did, it didn't seem to me. Normally, a tactical foul is a lot more um, cynical. Um, yes, Dewan Jones is more playing the man than, than playing the ball, but he's also, you know, he's trying to gain position. It's not to me, um, you know, an obvious, I'm taking out the man to stop, you know, an obvious breakaway. It's trying, you know, get in better position and get the ball away from this guy. Um, that's what I felt it was. Um, you know, Dewan Jones, as they carried themselves into the box, was right there with Frankowski. There's not. It's not one of those where he's pulling it back and and it's it's 
you know, two or three yards behind the play. Um, you know, I think it's much closer to a common foul than it is a yellow card. If a yellow card got issued, am I upset? No, I'm not upset. It is what it is. Um, but I don't, I don't even think that uh, a card would have been worthy in that in that game, particularly the way that the game was called by Bazakos with only one card being pulled out. I think it was a 79th minute. Yeah. Was the first card in that game. So there's there's a lot of issues we had with Mr. Bazakos prior to the 90th minute red card decision um, as far as discipline and cards and things like that. Um, but uh, I, I think, you know, maybe perhaps some of the uh, the reason why he thinks that's a red card is because he wasn't pulling out enough yellow cards prior to that. Um, and that situation seemed much more serious than some other things, which it wasn't. Um, so I just, yeah, a lot of, a lot of just not great yesterday. Yeah. I was, I was going to tack on that. No cards until the 79th minute. And even that yellow, I think you can make an argument that that should have been a red as opposed to uh, the Dewan Jones play. Um, that, that was a, a pretty sloppy tackle at midfield too. So um, yeah, the referee let them play. It was it was obviously a very, very physical game. He did not do a very good job controlling the game whatsoever. So I think you're right that throwing out a red uh, late in the game was very inconsistent with the previous 90 minutes of that match. Um, we did get a, another question from Clegging on Discord who says, if the appeal is upheld, who starts at left back for Dewan Jones? Sean, I'll go to you. Who do you see starting at left back? Even even if it, this is overturned, I think there's a good argument to be made Dewan Jones should not be starting at left back uh, next week. Um, but assuming that he is suspended, who do you think is starting at left back next week, Sean? I mean, you hope Moffo's ready and that you, you throw him right into the fire and, and give him a chance, whether or not Jawan Jones is available. Um, if if Moffo's not ready, then maybe you're forced to you know give AJ De La Garza a shot at left back in this one. I'm not sure you have many other options. I you, I guess you could put Brandon Byatt left back. I I do wonder if if that would work. I kind of go back many years to to Kevin Alston. Um, who got switched over to left back at, at some points later in his time with the Revolution, and actually, uh, t- to me, looked better as a left back than a right back because it kind of forced him to to simplify his game, knowing that he wasn't going to get forward and be able to use his right foot to cross. I do wonder if that might help Brandon by a little bit if he, you know, pushed the left back and was kind of forced to simplify his game in the same way. And then you put Tejan Buchanan at right back. There's, you know, a lot of options, um, none of which are particularly great if Mafla's not available. Uh, but my expectation is that Mafla. You know, with another week of training after getting some minutes with Revs 2, um, goes out there even if he's not quite ready for 90 minutes and, and gets to start, maybe regardless of whether or not Dewan Jones is available. Jay, who is starting to left back next week? I mean, if, if if all options are equal, I would I would go with, with Brandon Bay on the left and Tejan Buchanan on the right. Um, not to not to start going into the we should start Tejan Buchanan at fullback argument, but I think we should start Tejan Buchanan at fullback argument. Um you know, would I be upset if AJ Degars started left back? No, I wouldn't. Uh, that's why AJ Degars is here. He's the utility defender. You can put him anywhere in that back line, and I'd be perfectly happy with him uh, as a spot start. Um, you know, no, Dewan Jones wasn't good. I don't think that that this game or that phantom call is what I'm going to call it for right now until the disco sorts it out. Uh, I don't think that cost you know Dewan Jones his job if 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 Christian Malfo's you know available and is is just better than, then that's his, that's his, it's his starting spot. Um, but Dewan Jones is going to get minutes this year. He's going to get starts. Um, you know, Bruce arena has arguably one of the deepest rosters, um, in the league. Um, he needs to use more of his substitutions before the 80th minute, but that's a separate thing. And we might talk about, um, but no, you know, Dewan Jones, if, if he's, if he's unavailable, um, I think the Rebs have, have plenty of options that will be, you know, equally suitable. Uh, well, actually, let's let do get into that a little bit in, in terms of the substitutions, because two subs made in the 82nd minute. One of them was Adam Buxa. Uh, Sean, 
out of curiosity, what were your thoughts on the substitutions by Bruce last night? Obviously, he's playing with a limited bench, and I, I think that is more of a reflection of that. But um, what, what were your thoughts on Bruce's substitutions patterns yesterday? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that you, you can still make five subs in MLS, and I think Chicago made two and the, the Rose made three. Um, I'm not sure they necessarily need to make five in this game, but I, I'm, on the, I'm on the side of Jake that um, we've seen this before, that Bruce Arena waited too late to make some of the subs. You know, again, it's your first game of the season. Uh, yes, there was preseason, but I'm sure a lot of these guys aren't quite 90 minutes fit yet. Um, so it, it was surprising that you wait that long to make a sub. And yes, the bench was, was kind of thin, but you got a guy like Emmanuel Boateng, who we know has got tons and tons of pace. And I don't know why you don't use him in a game like this. You know, you know, even if you're going to bring him on at the 75th minute to to kind of run at guys and, and um, you know, cause the defense a lot of problems. Um, I also, you know, I know Buxa was probably getting tired, but Buxa had a pretty good game. So it's it's a little bit weird to me that if you're if you're trying to win this game, that you sub out, you know, one of your best goal scoring threats, your, your DP for for Edward Kizza, who, you know, almost almost scored a goal himself. We should say it came very close. Um, but no, I, the, the substitution pattern for me was was most surprising that they waited so long to make subs. You know, you, you had again, you have five subs. You could bring Scott Caldwell on in the 60th minute to have some fresh legs in central midfield. I don't think Tommy McNamara was was doing anything too great. Um, I, there's a lot of different ways you could have gone with this. Um, you know, given given the extra subs you're allowed to make right now, and waiting until the 82nd minute to make your second and third subs, you know didn't make a whole lot of sense for me in your first game of the season when, when guys are, you know, not going to be 90 minutes match fit because they haven't been playing much. Jake, anything to add on the subs? You know, just, this is something that we've, we've been talking about this with, with Bruce for, I want to say almost all of last year as well. You know, you have the extra subs, you know, use them, use them earlier. Um, Scott Caldwell would have been helpful in this game for the final, I think 20 minutes. Um, if you want to bring Edward Kiza on, that's, that's fine. I have no problem with that. Um, I guess it makes sense to bring him on for Buxa because he's going to be playing the out-and-out number nine position. Um, I would have very easily subbed off Gustavo Bo and yep. and brought in definitely, you know, Boateng um, for sure on one of the wing spots. Again, again, I'm biased because I want to move Carlos Hill into the middle of the field because I always want to do that. Um, but, yeah, there, there were options, right? Revolution certainly could have could have pressed a lot more in the final 20 minutes. Um, and credit to Edward Kizza. That was, I don't think, a very easy header. Um, I know the expected goal thing for that was fairly high, but that he seemed a little off balance. To get that even on frame um, was pretty darn impressive. And I, I was, uh, you know, for a very, very short you know amount of time he was on the field, that was a very impressive debut and nearly a spectacular winner uh, for the rookie. Yes, it's hard to fault him too much for hitting the post there or the, or the crossbar there. It was a it was a really good effort from him, mm-hmm. and, and uh, what, what a debut that would have been if had it gone the other side of the crossbar. Yeah, I think he's already exceeding expectations as the twenty fourth overall pick uh, from the Super Draft. And he's the first twenty uh, fourth overall draft pick in the last five years to make an appearance in MLS. So it, it looks like Bruce has gotten a bit of a steal. And as I noted last night on Twitter, the last time we had a player that. Uh, Hit a hit a, headed the ball off of the post in the season opener. He had European interest by the end of the year, so future is very bright for Edward Kizza uh, if history holds. Um, it's good, it's moving on tweet. to Tayon, though, it's a good tweet. I think I like that one. Uh, thank you, Jake. I always appreciate. It. <laughs> I do want to talk about Tayon though, really, really quickly, because Jake, I actually agree with your suggestion. Maybe we play Tayon Buchanan at right back. We play Brandon By at left back. I think we could use another attacking element now that we're at home. We're playing a DC United team that. I would expect three points from, hopefully, knock on wood. Uh, but but Tayon Buchanan, 
as an attacking right back that this might be a good matchup for him next week. But what are your thoughts about him playing as a left winger? We got a question from TSB who says, how much do you think Tayon's defensive lapses will factor into Bruce's left wing choices over the next couple of weeks? He was 100% at fault in the first goal, and it could be argued that his slow re- reaction uh, was the cause of the second, uh, which I agree with. Um, Sean, I'll, I'll go to you on this one. Do you think Tayon Buchanan is done on the left side, at least for the near future? I mean, he looked really uncomfortable there. There's no denying that he didn't, you know, on the defensive end especially, but even on the offensive end, he looked really uncomfortable playing that left wing role. Um, with that said, you know, I, I don't think we're, we're never going to see him again. I think he's, a you know, a, just a tremendously talented player with a lot of pace that works well on the wings. And, you know, he may be more comfortable on the right wing right now, but he's only 22 years old. He hasn't had that much time on the left wing. Um, this game was, was a poor performance from him on the left, but... Uh, I, I do think that going forward, we will see other times in which he, you know, gets opportunities in the left wing. Maybe next week won't be one of them. Um, you know, maybe he needs some more practice there, or maybe Bruce Arena needs to, to give somebody else a chance at that spot. Um, but I don't think this is the last time we ever see him there, despite the fact that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a good showing from him. He's just got, he's got too much talent and too much pace. Um, and his skill set just makes too much sense as a winger um, for given, you know, kind of the options the Revolution have when they're you know, trying to figure out their best lineup, him not to see some minutes on the left wing. Again, I think he's a better right winger, and I think he's going to be a better right winger going forward, but I don't think this is the last we've seen of him on the left. Jake, anything to add on that? No, I'm, I mean, one of the reasons why, you know, Tejan Buchanan did have, you know, a breakout playoffs and Olympic qualifying campaign and everything else was he was at right back in for the Rebs in the playoffs. And what that did is that allowed him a lot of times overlapping with Carlos Seal, a ton of space moving forward. Why? Because people don't know whether to step up on Tejon, step up on Carlos Seal, or just sit back and do nothing, which is a lot of times what happened. Um, you know, obviously you're going to have Arnor, um, Arnor uh, Trostalsen, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Trostalsen, um, at the left wing spot. That's you, what we expect him to be in the left wing spot. So that means you're really only going to be using either Tejon off the bench as a sub, and that winger role, or you're going to play him at right back. I would like to see Tejon at right back. I understand Bruce wants him to be a winger. I understand Tejon wants to be a winger. Right now, he helps the revolution the most from the right back spot. Um, Brandon Bay and Juan Jones are fine, capable, mostly two-way fullbacks at this point in their careers. Um, Tejon Buchanan can be a game-changing attacking fullback um, who really, really helps the revolution and helps Carlos Hill, particularly if he's going to play on the right wing, which I dislike, but I can't fix that issue. Um, I would prefer Carlos Gill is going to be on the right-hand side of the field as a winger cutting in. He needs someone overlapping who's just as dangerous, and that option is Tejan Buchanan. It's not even a question. Um, Brandon Bay is good. He's not potentially great, which Tejan Buchanan is from that role going forward. Um, you know, the, the interest that the rumors are, well, hey, you know, people, you know, PSV and a few others, um, are looking at him as a right back, Mr. Buchanan, not as a winger. Um, that doesn't mean he can't play winger for Canada um, if he breaks through through the Canadian national team. But, but you know, professionally right now, he's very he's much more dangerous as a right back than he is as a winger. Um, and that's because it, it you know he has more space in front of him. Um, I think he understands the role defensively a lot more from right back than he does at winger. Um, you know, winger, particularly in a four-two-three-one, is a very odd position. Sometimes you're, you know, you're, you're following different players a lot when you're tracking back. Sometimes you're tracking a fullback. Sometimes you're tracking a holding midfielder. Sometimes you're tracking a forward. Maybe you've gotten someone who's trailing in back behind, um, and that leads to Stojanovic's the second goal, where someone comes in um, from the second line, and you've got to pick him up 
And if you react and you miss that, someone's got a free shot and goal eight yards from the box. And, you know, Matt Turner's unhappy, which he was the first 15 minutes of this game. Absolutely. Um, I do want to touch on one more person before we move uh, on to some other listener questions. But Adam Buxa had a pretty solid game all the way around. Actually, both designated players. I know we talked about Bo coming off. Bo wasn't as involved in this game, but he, he also got on the score sheet as well. Both designated players uh, coming up big in this game. Um, Adam Buxa's performance. Sean, do you think Adam Buxa was the, the man of the match in this game? And James Downing also asks, has Buxa finally, finally found his footing in MLS? Yeah, really quickly, we all went with kind of negative takeaways from this one. But my the the positive takeaway was that the two of the designated players scored, which is it's huge for the Revolution in their first game of the season. Both of those guys are guys that you know confidence plays a big role. Any striker confidence plays a big role. So to see you know Bo and Buxa both got on the score sheet was was huge and a, a very big positive for the Revolution. Um, I think we have seen Buxa kind of find his footing in MLS. We saw it a little bit towards the end of last season. Um, he looked more comfortable in this game. You know. I, I, again, I want to see him do it for a longer stretch of time before I'm ready to say, you know, he's become that player the Revolution expected him to be. Um, but this was certainly a, a very good sign. And, you know, we've seen the trends for him head in the right direction after what was kind of a, a disappointing start to his Revolution career. Um, so a, a lot to be positive about, but I, I would want to wait, you know, a few more games and see him do it, um, you know, for maybe a, a four or five game stretch at the start of the season for the revolution where he looks really comfortable and, you know, dangerous on chances before I, I'm ready to, you know, say he's gone over that hump. Uh, Jake, anything to add on Adam Buxa? Do you think he's found his footing in MLS? And, and James also asks, can we expect big things from him this year? Uh, we kind of went on the record last week with our over under goals prediction on Adam Buxa. Um, are you expecting big things out of Adam this year? Yes. I, I, I think Adam's expecting big things. I, I, you know, as our own bent musket man, Engineer Sam Minton asked him, you know, yesterday, hey, were, you know, you were struggling last times at times last season. He says, no, I don't like the word that I was struggling. I don't agree with that. Um, you know, and I, I think he's right. I don't think he struggled at all last year. I think the revolution struggled to get him involved and stranded him at the top of the field um, last year a lot. Um, I think Adam Books is perfectly fine. What we're going to see now is that when he gets um, service, particularly set piece service from, from Carlos Hill, you're going to see how much more dangerous this team is. Uh, when you can get him fully involved. Um, I think finding the balance, not only in the midfield for the revolution, which felt off today uh, or yesterday, but finding the balance between books and bow and what their roles are and how they can play off each other. It seems like, you know, you have two forwards, but they're all operating separately from one another. And, and that needs to change um, getting books more involved, whether it's, you know, letting him hold up play, spraying the ball out wide, using him as a traditional number nine, however it is, the revolution are going to make it work. Game to game is fine, but overall, throughout the course of the season, if you get Adam Books involved, this team is going to be better. Um, they're going to score more goals. They're going to have more chances. They're going to have more second chances, um, either for him to clean up or someone else to clean up in the box. Uh, and, and you're going to see the impact Books can have with the Rebs fully operational, which they were not last year. The Rebs were a bit of a mess. Obviously, he was out, but it, it, it was more than that. There was a lot of other things that were going wrong. And it ends up with people wondering, God, why, why is why is Adam Books not producing? He's not producing because you're not getting on the ball. That's those are two separate problems. Um, and I think we're starting to realize that when you get Books to the ball, he's pretty darn good at what he does. 
Yeah, Adam Books's night uh, in total. Obviously, he had the goal in the 13th minute, which changed the game completely. He was also uh, two shot, four shots, two of them on target, 72% pass success rating. He had one key pass, 46 touches. One stat that I, I want to point out that I think uh, really shows how he was all over the place, winning balls all over the place. Uh, he was 14 for 21 on duels, uh, and <laughs> also he was uh, he, he won eight of 12 aerials. So he was a real big force in the air last night. I, I think he deserves some man of the match uh, credit. And, you know, Kizza obviously came on to impress, uh, but I, I, I thought it was a bit strange seeing Buxa come out after the game he had yesterday. Uh, one more thing I want to touch on, actually, before we move on, is obviously this is not a result I think a lot of Revs fans were expecting, uh, but I, I think it's fair to say that the result was fair. It was a level game. Um, is there any change in ex- expectations for you guys for the rest of the season now that you, we have seen the revolution and how they measure up against a team like Chicago. Jake, I'll, I'll go to you first. No, I mean, I, I would still expect, you know, this team, again, when fully healthy, which we can argue right now we're not, um, you know, when fully healthy, this should be a team that can compete for the top three in the East. I understand things might happen, but, I mean, certainly we think this is a playoff team. The question from last year is how much can we build on the playoff run? How much does that playoff run take us? Because, remember, we were a mediocre regular season team because it took us a while to get going, you know, starting from mostly full strength, you know, is this a team that can, you know, compete for the shield, compete for the top three, um, play most of their playoff games in November at home, as opposed to being on the road almost the entire time. Um, you know, that's the step that you expect this team to make this year with Carlos Seal healthy, with Gustavo Bo on the field all the time, with Adam Buxa operating, with the support needed around him, with Matt Turner saving pretty much everything. Um, now you want to see how much how much of a big step can this team take in making another you know MLS Cup run. Uh, no one's going to be surprised by them this year. They're expected to be a favorite. They're expected to be in the top three. You're going to get a lot of teams better shots. Obviously, you know, Chicago at home, you go down 0-2. Getting a point is pretty darn good in most circumstances. That's probably a game a handful of years ago – we probably lose by giving up more goals. Um, so, yeah, I don't think the expectations change. I think it just, you know, now, you know, you make it a little harder on yourself. If you were expecting this to be a win, um, it's not. So that's two points now you've got to make up at some point, particularly maybe against Atlanta in two weeks at home, um, especially if you want to make a, a U.S. Open Cup run. That, I don't think, you know, five points, maybe a win against DC and a draw against Atlanta. I don't think five points gets you into the top eight for the open cup qualifying if it occurs this year. Um, so you've got to make up points in that as well. Um, you know, so little things like that, dropping points in, in April um, does not, you know, necessarily, you know, cost you a shot at a title, but it does make things harder on yourself. Yeah. And just to add on that, it was announced that the U S open cup uh, is postponed or canceled. It's unclear if there's going to be a 2021 U S open cup, but uh, for now they've at least delayed it potentially for later in the season. So we're not really sure what the qualification metrics are. It might be the same, um, but it it might not be. So that's just one little quick note, but overall your point here is that these are are two points dropped and I don't think a whole lot of people are happy with it. Um, Although once you fall down to nothing, I think a lot of people were happy with the point and getting out of Chicago with the point. Um, Sean, just one quick thing on the Open Cup. This is a blatant attempt to prevent the Newtown Connecticut Pride from winning it all. I think U.S. soccer is afraid that the National Amateur Champions of 2019 are going to win the whole thing, and I think they should be afraid. 
It's it's a conspiracy against Connecticut. Uh, do you uh, always is. Jake? Do you think that the Revs changing their TV contract from NBCSN to uh, CBS? <laughs> do you think that was also a conspiracy against Connecticut? Because you're, now you're um, an ESPN Plus fan like me. It's not. It's not not a conspiracy against Connecticut. It's not not a conspiracy against Connecticut. Um, I, I don't know the over the air contracts and and specifics for Boston. I, I'm I'm a little bit withdrawn from my broadcasting major career uh in college it was a while ago um i will say that in the year 2021 uh where we have access to stream anything from just about anywhere in the country i don't know why broadcasting rules and blackouts still exist um so i'm not going to say that it isn't a conspiracy against connecticut but it does seem to be some kind of a conspiracy that is not just a disaster for connecticut but a disaster for apparently the rest of new england as well if you're not in the greater boston area um, I think a lot of people were complaining about – I think Maine in particular was complaining. How the heck do we watch games if they're not online? Um, because some people might still be in New England and blacked out as well. So the, the, a little bit of some issues here we need to sort out, um, whether that's MLS or federal regulation, whoever it is. Um, it's 2021, guys. We, sh- we shouldn't have problems right now with this stuff. It's a national contract. We should be able to watch games whenever the heck we want if you're paying for ESPN Plus or MLS Live or whatever. Um can we just watch games, please? I just want to watch games. Can we do that? Our R.I.P. MLS Live, by the way. Oh, a it's real, the best. A big... <sighs> I miss MLS. I miss yeah. even the old website. The new website stinks. I'm going to say it. It is noteworthy that the Revolution do have a pregame show on CBS now, so we appreciate Connecticut's sacrifice so the Revs could uh, get a – oh, I don't know what I'm saying. We. I don't get – I'm not in Boston either. <laughs> but, Sean – Real in the name here, Sean. Um, do you have any changed expectations for this season? No, I mean you got to look at this too. As you know, the Revolution were a really good road team last year. They got most of their points on the road. That's extremely unusual. A road draw generally isn't a bad result, even against the Chicago Fire team that you know the expectations aren't high on. Um, so you know, if you look at it in that perspective, you know it was the first game of the season. They're not going to be as sharp as they're going to be. You know, five six games from now. Um, coming away with a point on the road is not the end of the world. Um, you know, the revolution needs to get most of their points at home this season. They need to get, create a home field advantage that didn't exist last year. Um, you know, I I don't know if having 8,000 fans in the stands is going to make much of a difference there. Maybe it will. Um, but that's what we need to see from them this year. We need to see them come home and get three points and we need to see them do that regularly. You know, if, if you draw all your road games and win all your home games, you're in great shape. Uh, last year it was, you know, winning a lot of road games and doing crap at home. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I, you know, a, a road tie doesn't change things for me. Uh, going into this season, you know, and I think I talked about it on some previous podcasts, left back was a little bit of a concern for me because, you know, Christian Moffla has that reputation for being injury prone coming into the revolution. And, you know, Dewan Jones has done a, a good job there overall. Um, but, you know, we saw a lot of weakness from him in that role this game. I don't know if that's a fluke or if, you know, maybe what we were seeing last year, you know, we were kind of overrating him because of, you know, how he stepped up and also, you know, the contributions of, you know, Teal Bunbury to help him defend and whoever else was playing over there. I don't know that yet. Um, but my concern for left back existed before this game and it exists slightly greater after this game. But other than that, my expectations for the revolution have remained the same. I think this is a you know going to be a very good team in the East. They played a, had a very bad start to their season. Those first twelve minutes were horrendous, um, but they showed a fight back to come back. That you know shows that's great for um, it shows a great strength of character for them that they came back and, and fought and, and tied this game. Um, and at the end of the season, you know I, I don't think you look back at a tie on the road as as a defining point 
uh, in a negative manner of, of the year. So, um, you know, if, they, if they're a team again this year that struggles tremendously at home and has to get most of their points on the road, um, they're going to be a lot more problems than just this one draw <laughs> that, that, you know, lead to them not meeting expectations. Yeah, and, and one other thing, too, is, I mean, I, I, obviously they, they fell behind early, but it's nice to see some fight back uh, and, and respond very, very quickly. And, and and if you look at the numbers here, chances created 19 to 14 Chicago, expected goals, Chicago had 2.24, New England at 1.87. So those kind of numbers imply that Chicago is probably, you know, on the front foot uh, and, and, you know, it's a fair result overall. But there were a number of plays in this game that if it goes a little bit differently, the Revolution score another one or two goals. Um, Adam Buxa had a header over the bar in the first half that he wanted back. That could have been goal number three. Uh, obviously, the Edward Kizza uh, header off of the crossbar. Um, there was a play where Dewan Jones made a nice move into the box, got around a defender, uh, was kind of one-on-one with Shuttleworth, tried laying it off for Gustavo Bo, who would have finished it, uh, but a defender stuck a leg out and, and just barely made enough contact to clear the ball. Um, Adam Buxa had a play where uh, he has the ball in the box and um, Tayon Buchanan is running around him and uh, the defender kind of cheats over towards Tayon. Buxa cuts in and has a clear shot at goal, but I think Jonathan Bornstein cuts, you know, comes in from behind at last second and, and touches it out for a, 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 a corner kick. Um, Carlos Heel had a shot from the top of the box that went just barely wide. So, you know, we, we can look at these numbers and say, you know, overall it's a fair result, but this team had a ton of chances. It seemed like offensively they were clicking on all cylinders. And if, if you know, the last 80 plus minutes of the game, the revolution were the better team in my opinion. So, um, I, I agree with you guys. I'm not changing any expectations. I still think they're going to be, compete for a top spot uh, in the East. So let's move on to some listener questions before we wrap up here today. Quite Rev says, who starts the next game that didn't start this one? We have already talked about Masiel. I think we're both expecting Masiel to start next game. And obviously we talked about the left back uh, kind of rotation. There's a number of things they could do there, excluding uh, left back where, Sean, you're expecting Mafla. Um, Jake, I think we're expecting Brandon Bly to shift over for Tayon Buchanan to play right back. Do you expect any changes in this lineup whatsoever? Uh, Sean, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, the the only other one that might happen, and I, I to be honest, don't don't have a good sense of where he's at or how ready he is, is, is Trousesen coming in at the left wing role. Um, really, other than the you know the Martial in the left back spot, that's the only other change I, I could see happening, but I, I'm not sure that um, another week is going to have him ready to start. So, uh, I think we're going to see, you know, other than those two moves, pretty close to the same lineup as last year with that. I mean, as last game, maybe with that one exception, if he if he's, you know, more ready than than we're aware of to, to step right in. Jake, any any changes you're making uh, other than potentially Trusteson? No, I mean, if 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 Trusteson isn't ready, I, I mean, if if you're going to go with maybe Brandon by in the left back and, and if it's not Trusteson, I have no problem with Teal Bunbury going on the left back and just letting him be Teal Bunbury and, and giving the support defensively uh, to Brandon by or, or whoever on the left back side. Um, that that also might might help New England just, you know, getting getting guys like Teal and, and Botang on the field um, earlier or at all. Um, it greatly beneficial uh, to the Revs late in games because those guys just have, uh, you know, such, you know, high energy and high motor. They're just everywhere. And, and I think that's something the, the revolution it needed more fresh legs. Um, so I, I would expect maybe a little bit of rotation um, against a DC team that was also very surprisingly spunky. Uh, against, uh, I think it was New York City FC, um, in a 2-1 win. So that was, uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting matchup for the Rams home opener next week. Yeah, and, and I would like to see Boateng too, but to me, the, the fact that he didn't get any minutes in the first game implies that the best we can hope for in the second game is, is a substitute appearance. Um, mm-hmm. But curious curious to see what, what happens there. 
Quite Revs also asks us who were we most disappointed in and most impressed by. I'm going to say that probably my most disappointed performance goes to Taeyeon Buchanan. Um, you know, I know left wing is a little bit new to him, but I, I think that's an experiment that I'm not really looking forward to again if we we see it ever again. And in terms of most impressed by, I think Adam Books have played very, very well. I think we've been hyping him up, him up all offseason uh, with the addition of Carly Till back to the lineup. I think we're going to see a rejuvenated Adam Books, who, by the way, has five goals in his last 11 games. I don't know if I threw out that stat earlier, but he's really caught on to form. And that includes playoffs, by the way, uh, recently. So I'll, we'll go around the horn real quick. Jake, who are you most disappointed in and who are you most impressed by? I mean, I just I think everything about the first 12 to 15 minutes I was disappointed in. I don't think there was anything that was good. Team-wise, individual-wise, everything was bad. And and then Adam Books has scored a goal, and everything changed. So I, I'm I'm going to agree with – I think I'm going to agree with you, Ray. It's just I, I think Adam Books definitely was the player of the match for me. Um, he was everywhere. Um, he's the only, per, only player on the field that I would argue, besides Carlos Hill, was like – Yes, he was good the entire time. Everyone else had a problem at some point, um, particularly in the first 15 minutes, particularly in the first half, which was sloppy. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I'm disappointed by any one individual. I think I'm disappointed by kind of sort of the collective hive mind of badness that was the opening to that game. Yeah, I, I would echo everything both of you just said with the, the you know, Adam Buxa was the most impressive. And I think you could pick one of, of three players as the least impressive. And that would be Buchanan, Jones and Kessler. Um, and part of that is because the expectations are are so high for mm-hmm. Tejan Buchanan after the yes. season he had. They're so high for Henry Kessler after the season he had. And both of those guys also playing in Olympic qualifying and, you know, Buchanan looking great. Kessler looking decent. Um, there was a lot of expectations for both those players. And Dewan Jones had been a very solid left back for the revolution last year. And, and all three of them did not live up to expectations in the first game. So uh, any of those three, I think are good candidates for most disappointed. Um, but I, I can't disagree with, with Buxa for most impressed because, you know, expectations are, are hard to set for Buxa because he did start last year poorly. And there were times last year where he didn't look great. Um, he came on good at the end of, at the end of last year, but I, I didn't know whether or not that would carry over and what, where that would go. And, and so far so good for him. So most impressed by him. Um, but, you know, agree with everything both of you said. And one more question from Quite Revs. Was last night the result of Chicago playing well or the Revolution playing bad? Sean, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, both. I think Chicago played a little bit better than I expected them to. Um, and I think the Revolution, especially at the beginning, uh, were a little bit worse than I expected them to be. You know, Again, we've seen Revolution over the years start games slowly. Um, sometimes under Bruce Arena that happened too. Um, so, you know, they started this game extremely slowly and, you know, that was disappointing. And I, I think there was expectations that, again, given the momentum they were hopefully carrying over from last season, um, they would have gotten off to a better start. But I, I think it's a combination. Like you said earlier, um, expectations for Chicago are, are very low. Um, and, you know, they certainly exceeded them by starting this game strongly and, and ending up with a draw. Yeah, agree. Anything to add on? Oh, good. No, the, the answer to the question is yes. I mean, it, it, you have to give Chicago credit. The, I think their their movement in the first half, particularly the first 20 minutes, was incredibly effective. The, the revolution back line, yes, it was a mess, but it's also a mess because the, the fire were very good at pulling everyone out of position. And you had, you know, free runners all over the place. Um, and I, I, you have to you have to give them credit for that. I think the only goal in this game that someone's going to collectively want back that probably wasn't deserved um, was Bo's equalizer. I think that was a bad goal for Chicago to give up. Uh, it came from nothing. Um, it came from a throw-in. I mean, the Chicago announcers were incensed. Like, how are we giving up 
chances off throw-ins. What's going on here? Um, you know, that that's, I think, the one goal where everyone's like, you know what, collectively, that was the worst goal given up by anyone. We can give a lot of credit. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Buxa gets a you know, wonderful header, puts into the side netting. The two goals for Chicago are, you know, zone 14, right in the center, slotting home into mostly empty nets. Uh, nothing really Matt Turner can do about those unless he pulls miracles, which he, he can't do every time. I know we love him and we expect we expect great things, but even even he can't save things a point blank from eight yards out. Um, but no, it's you absolutely have to give Chicago a ton of credit. That was a, a brilliant start for them. And equally, you have to give, you know, the Revs credit for clawing back as, as quickly as they did uh, to make that second half a very cagey, a little bit more cautious affair, um, you know, for, a, I, I think, a well-earned point all around for both teams. Yeah, I think similar to the way that the Revolution last year were better than an eight seed where they ended up. Chicago was better than an 11th seed or whatever they were last year. And, um, you know, you, you have to give them a lot of credit for, for how they played. And, um, you know, I, I obviously I, I think it's a fair result, but um, I, I don't know. I, I Outside of those first 10 minutes, which we've talked about, which were absolutely horrid, um, I, I don't think the Rose played all that bad yesterday. I think it's just a, a Chicago team that a lot of people underestimated going into this one. So. And, and one of one of our friends, Patrick McCranny from, from Hot Time in Old Town, who I talked to before the game, he said Chicago usually plays really well for about 85 minutes, and then there's a five-minute stretch where they shoot themselves in the foot. Well, the five-minute stretch where they shot themselves in the foot was that was – that, Buchanan and Bo combination off the throw-in. Everything else they did yesterday was was pretty darn solid. Um, and that's, I think you're right. I think it's a Chicago team that should be better than 11th place and and can compete for a playoff spot. I just think they're so inconsistent. We, we don't know how to gauge them properly over the course of a, of a regular season yet. I, I just want to point out one thing about that Chicago team, because you talk about the revolution and, and bringing depth off the bench and the options there. If, if you look at the ages of the players on the Chicago bench, um, it's amazing. And, and I don't think necessarily a good thing for them this season, but long term, um, it's it's pretty exciting. I'm just just quickly looking at at their bench. There's a 17 year old, a 16 year old, a 19 year old, a 17 year old, a 22 year old, a 21 year old, uh, a 23 year old, and then another 22 year old, and then the oldest guy on the bench was 25. Um, so this is a Chicago team that I think. Uh, a few years down the road, even their starting lineup had a, a, several young guys. If you ignore 36-year-old Jonathan Bornstein, who's somehow still in the league, uh, <laughs> I, I think this is a Chicago Fire team that you know may not get there this season, but has so much young talent, um, even young talent that they're confident enough to put on the, the game day 18, um, that they're going to be a scary team to watch, or game day 20 now, I should say. They're going to be a, a scary team to watch going forward, um, if not this year, then a few years down the road. Yeah, and they didn't make many additions um in this off season, which kind of tells me that Raphael Wiki is doing a long, slow build, a long, slow rebuild. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but this team as it is right now, I don't think is anything to, to sleep on. And we learned that last night. So I'm not sure when we see them again, uh, but when they come to Foxborough, I, I certainly think uh, they'll, they'll give a bit of a fight next time as well. So uh, one more question here from James Downing, who says, did either of you catch any of Diego in action t- today for auction or sorry for Austin? Uh, he sent that yesterday. Um, I did not, I think we talked about this beforehand. We didn't see any of the Diego game, but he, I, don't, I don't think he did anything notable. Uh, he's not in the starting 11, which, you know, I think was a little surprising because when he signed with Austin, it seemed like he was going to be a starter uh, and he was going to be in their plans and it just did not end up that way. Uh, Kellen Rowe also made an appearance for Seattle and also did not do anything of note. So a little bit of a disappointing uh, appearance for two revs. I did. I did catch a few minutes of. Uh, I, I was watching the game while doing a few other things, and I do have to credit Diego. He played 
uh, 21 minutes, 91% passing accuracy, 19 touches, one shot off target. Um, didn't have that much of an impact in his, in his limited minutes, but I think the, you know, it's, it's a tough ask coming off the bench against the Los Angeles FC team and an expansion team's first game. Um, and you know, at least his passing stats were decent. Um, with, with that said, the, the highlight of that game was the fact that they subbed off Carlos Vela, LAFC subbed off Carlos Vela in the 22nd minute by mistake, uh, because Bob Bradley thought Carlos Vela was asking for a substitution when apparently he actually was not. So, uh, there's your opening weekend MLS, uh, chaos right there did i did i captain carlos Vela on my fantasy team i bet i did i usually do that <laughs> oops mls oops. is back oh god we do have one more comment uh do you from macho who says do you think pro is able to wipe their own rears in the morning i don't think they're smart enough to manage that um we won't we won't go too deep into it but jake you you certainly kind of touched on it earlier i think you are more in the macho camp uh than you are the pro referees camp so uh nice. we'll, we'll we'll let that comment stand on it though i love i love you pro I love you, pro. Please, please do not let Mr. Bazakos ref Chicago, New England games. Please don't do it. He did it last year. He did it this year. Just don't let him do it. Let him go somewhere else. Please. And I, I need to start learning the names of referees. Jake knows knows all of them down pat. I, sh- I should I need to to DM Jake. Be like, is this going to be a crappy refereed game or not? So I'm and a little listen, bit more there's, going into it. I need to be on t- again. I work overnights. So I apologize. So I found out they 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 release the list of of referees late. Normally they do it middle of the week, couple days before the games. I think they did it like two hours before the game. So I did retweet it, and someone I don't know who it was was like, ah, crap. And I remember thinking to myself, like, wait a minute, didn't we have this last year? I went back. Fotis Bazakos actually did the the revolution. I think it was the home opener against the fire. It was like March 26 last year. Um, Bazakos was the was the referee for that game. And I think that game was also kind of a disaster. I forget why it was a disaster. Um, but, yeah, particularly Fotis Bazakos does not generally have great games. Um, and and we write about him quite often at the third yellow. Um, there's a reason why we have a hashtag uh, for him, and um, it's not a good hashtag. Another conspiracy we can think about, why does he keep getting assigned to Chicago-New England games? So we got two conspiracies, the Connecticut conspiracy, now a refereeing conspiracy. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, News and notes to run through really quick. Big news, kind of on a Friday news dump uh, type of thing here. Brian Scales, the uh, director of youth development at the Revolution, mm-hmm. he, he was been in that position since November 2010. Uh, he apparently was let go by the Revolution. The Revolution did not make a comment or an announcement on it, but Brian Scales took to Twitter and made a statement that it was his last day with the New England Revolution. Um, Sean, what's your reaction on Brian Scales being let go? Mostly just surprised about the timing. I mean, we knew when Bruce Arena was going to come in that things were going to change. It's not shocking to me that the director of youth development changed. I don't know why you wait till the the Friday before the season starts. Um, for that to happen, though, and I guess you could, you know, if you're trying to read the writing on the wall, the fact that that Firmino and Anking didn't get brought back, and you know, there hasn't been much success from the Revolution's youth academy really since you know Diego Fagundes and Scott Caldwell. Um, it's not shocking that they opted to make a change. I just I wonder about why the timing was what it was, and if there's you know something behind the scenes we don't know about because it's just it's just bizarre to me. Not that it happened, but when it happened. Yeah, I'm I'm not totally sure how much of this falls on scales because for the majority of his time they did not have revs too. And I do truthfully believe 
Revolution 2 would have improved Zach Haravo and even Justin Rennox maybe a year or two ago. I, I think that might have helped those players' development. But you mentioned Firmino and Anking leaving. Um, I, I'm not willing to give up on both of those guys yet. I know Nick Firmino was down with Nashville in preseason. I, I don't think he signed a contract, um, but it's interesting that and, and he was he was I think a finalist for Young Player of the Year for USL League One. So I'm not really willing to write him off as a failure. But overall, I think he had seven players signed with the first team over 10 years, and really Scott Caldwell and Diego Fagundes. That was it. Uh, in terms of impactful players. So um, it, it, I don't want to say it's out of left field, but it is a bit strange to do this right before the beginning of the season, right after preseason where you do a you know preseason flight with, um, you know, out to California and all that. I, I would expect this move to be made kind of towards the end of the season. Um, but, and, and part of me wonders too, if they are changing the way they're going to use Revs 2, because you look at Revs 2, you know, year one, they signed a lot of college players. There was kind of a bit of a gap between the academy and Revs 2. They went out and they signed another you know, group of college kids that were going in the second round uh, or, or potentially in the first round in the, the case of Michael DeShields, who's now with DC United. Um, I, I wonder if maybe Bruce Arena sees more value in signing a bunch of college kids than the current crop of players in the academy uh, who you know may or may not pan out long term. So I, I, it's, it's a bit of an interesting um, move at, at this stage, but... I don't know. It, it's hard to know what to make of it and what's happening behind closed doors. Anything to add by anyone or no? I, I just wanted to just agree with, with Sean. I thought the timing of it is, is unfortunate. Um, you know, Brian Scalzi, he's been here a decade and, and I think, um, you know, he deserves more than just a, you know, pat on the back uh, and, uh, and an open door at the you know beginning of a season. Um, you know, we, we can argue it's like, you know, well, maybe he wasn't as successful as he should have been. I think overall, with the resources he was given, uh, there's a lot of success uh, to, to thank him for. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, just letting him go and not reassigning him, I think that hurts um, the revolution uh, as an organization, at least in the short term, whether it's recruiting or college or, you know, knowledge base of the area, things like that. I, I think that uh, that just letting letting him go is is uh, just just a bummer. It, I think it's a bummer. I, I never met Brian Scales, but it just I, I'm a little bit disappointed on uh on how this how this went down and i'm very rarely have said those types of things in the bruce arena era um usually most things are above board i think this one uh this one stinks a little bit other news and notes before we wrap up here today earl edwards jr christian uh, mafla and luis caicedo all started for revs two yesterday to build fitness uh, and the revs lost three nothing not a great sign i did not watch the game i don't think any of us watched the game uh, but from what i've been told no one looked particularly great uh, especially mafla so it's a you know Big more question marks with those three. We'll see how they progress and if they are with the match day 18 next week. Uh, and then uh, TSN is reporting that Dayon Buchanan has interest from a number of big European teams, including Juventus, PSV, Sporting Lisbon, RB Salzburg. Um, there was another report a few weeks ago that Tayon Buchanan was uh, drawing interest from Sporting Lisbon and Sporting Lisbon, Sporting Lisbon denied any interest. That doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Uh, and, and Bruce Arena has said that he has not been contacted by any teams uh, from Europe on Tayon Buchanan. He said that at a press conference earlier this week. So that is one thing to keep an eye on to see if Tayon Buchanan is still reportedly attracting interest um, and how that goes on throughout the season. Uh, and a correction, quick correction from last week. I said that Luis Caicedo holds an international roster spot. That is not true. He got a green card. I should have remembered that from a few weeks ago. My bad, my bad. So please uh, take note of that as well. Uh, final thoughts here. Jake, anything you want to touch on before we go? No, just uh, I'm going to try and, and keep on top of the what I'm hoping is a pending appeal for a red card. Um, I this is uh, hang on. Let me check my work schedule. Today was Thursday, which means tomorrow is, mo- is a Friday. 
which means my off days are, are officially um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday um, of next week. So I, I should be around most of the week. If you have questions on things, um, we might be able to fire off a, a big third yellow column at some point uh, in the next 48 hours about everything um, that was not great about that situation, um, including a wonderful uh, tidbit from uh, Frank DeLapa of uh, that VAR review took like three minutes. Um, and this is not something that, in my opinion, should have taken more than 30 seconds. Uh, so we have a lot of, lot of little things to talk about uh, the, the VAR process and how it went bad uh, in depth a little bit more here uh, in the coming days. Sean, any final thoughts you want to touch on before we wrap up? Just what I touched on earlier, and that's, you know, the Revolution got a draw on the road to start the season. That's fine. I think a more important game is at home against DC United to show that the Revolution can make Fortress Foxborough a thing this year because it wasn't a thing last year and there were no fans in the stands. So that didn't help. Um, you know, there'll be limited fans in the stands this year. But, you know, what, what did they win? Two games at home last year? Something, something it was, terrible. It was two. It was- it was two home wins and five road wins. I know that. I forget yeah. what they were. There were more draws at home and things like that. But, I mean, yeah, it was definitely it was a weird. Um, I also think MLS is back. Be, like, designating as the home team and things also threw things off in those numbers. So, I, I yeah. Either way, terrible numbers at home for the Revolution. Uh-huh. And, and they need to be better this year. And DC United, I, I don't know how good DC is going to be this year. But that's a game that, regardless, the Revolution at home need to win. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't have a problem with the Revolution getting a tie on Chicago to open the season. I don't think that's a terrible result. That's not a great result. It's just it, it is what it is. But mm-hmm. at home against DC United, if they don't get three points out of that game, that's when maybe I start asking some questions because they, they need to make Foxborough a difficult place to play this year. It, it wasn't last year. Again, no fans throws everything off. Uh, limited fans, I'm not sure how much more that helps. Hopefully it does. Um, but that's that's a key to watch for the Revs this year is that they pick up maximum points at home against teams like DC United. And Sean, uh, real quick, do you have you want your twenty seconds on Tottenham? You know, I'm uh, pretty sick of <laughs> watching Tottenham <laughs> this year. Uh, after after the last game, though, I mean, a two-two draw against Everton isn't the worst result in the world. I, I was looking at their schedule just before the show, the rest of the way, and, and Spurs have such an easy on paper schedule: Southampton, Sheffield United, Leeds, Wolves, Aston Villa, and Leicester to finish the year. That it sucks me back in and gives me some false hope that they could climb their way back into the top four. But this has been such a terrible season that I cannot allow myself to give myself any hope for these last few games. Uh, hope, hopefully next year will be better and hopefully there'll be a new coach. Went over, went over 20 seconds a little bit, but I was enjoying it. So I, I let it run a little bit long today. So being a Spurs fan is painful as always Th- thoughts and prayers, Sean. I think, I think for Jose Mourinho is painful. So I, I, I yes. have some sympathy for you. And at the same time, I have no sympathy for you. Uh, one, one last comment I just have to make is they went out into that last game with three center backs, two fullbacks, and three <laughs> players that could be classified as defensive midfielders and against an Everton team where they really needed three points. And they got one point, but it, which, you know, again, a road draw against Everton is not a horrible result. But but I don't know what you're doing when you're going out there with five defenders and you know, three defensive midfielders, if I'm being generous, two of them could be could be eights instead of sixes, sure. Uh, but that was kind of a, a shocking lineup choice that I'm surprised even resulted in a draw very over 20 seconds this week i hope you enjoyed it sean i don't think we're ever doing that ever again uh my final thoughts here before we go i you know we don't say it enough i just want to give a quick shout out to bill and melinda gates and the foundation that they have and all the good charity work they're doing around the world um really amazing stuff and i, I don't think they get enough credit so i just wanted to say thank you to bill and melinda gates 
for all of their charitable work. Um, that wraps us up here today. You can follow Jake at jakecatneys43. Please follow the Bent Musket at the Bent Musket. And please follow Sean at Sean L. Donahue. You can follow us at Revolution Recap. You can also like our Revolution Recap Instagram page. I need some more friends over there, so please give that a follow. And also our Revolution Recap uh, Facebook page. Um, and if you haven't already, make sure you rate and review us on iTunes. Um, and if you know anyone looking to get into the Revs this year or they need a Revolution podcast, please spread the word and help us grow. Uh, the Revolution will be back next Saturday for their home opener against DC United. We will be back with an episode recapping that game next weekend. And also, we will be releasing the second part of our two-part interview with Jeff Laurentowitz. Yes. Uh, we released part one earlier this week. If you haven't listened yet, please, I recommend you do. Uh, Jeff was very upfront, told a lot of great stories from his career. So both episodes are worth checking out. So another two-episode week for you guys, for you guys to look forward to. Uh, as always, thank you, everyone, for listening, and go Rebs.